When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to this edition of Big Fish Small Pod for Thursday, July 13th, 2023. And if you're new to the Small Pod, he would like to give you all the information about the Marlins for that particular day all season long in 10 minutes or less. And on this special episode of Big Fish Small Pod, we are recapping the 2023 Marlins draft class. And who else would I bring on? He impressed us so much on the stream that we had to bring him on for the for Small Pod. He's the hot sensation right now on Marlins Twitter. Jackson, otherwise known as Jab, it's great having you on for, for this pod. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. You got me, uh, you got me blushing with that intro. Right <laughs> there. That's awesome. No, no, of course, of course. Uh, so w- with this draft class, um, looking at it and everything, really pitcher heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting off with Noble Meyer and-, and Thomas White, two prep arms. Just how would you overall look at this draft class uh, as a whole after it, after all 20 rounds? Yeah, definitely. I would say, uh, you know, exactly like what you said. Uh, it seems like the clear plan here was pitching, which we didn't really think was going to be the case. But I mean... At the end of the day, I'm a I'm a big fan of the pitchers that they chose because, um, you know, like we said, you got Meyer and Thomas White, two prep arms, and then at that, two of the highest rated prep arms in the class, uh, two guys that are super projectable, big time fastballs, ability for spin, um, and then the ability to add that changeup. So um, I think I like the way that they went with pitching, and I like the pitchers that they chose, and then the position guys that they chose after that, I think were were great fits. So. Yeah, and, and with those, um, how would you look at maybe day one uh, as a whole? But we'll go uh, day one, day two, and, and day three. But with day one, going with Meyer, uh, Thomas Wide, and then uh, finishing up with Kep Alderman from Ole Miss. Um, mm-hmm. Out of those three picks, was there one that really stood out to you? 
yeah, I would say uh, Kemp Alderman there. Um, you know, there was still, you know, a lot of kind of like bat first, field first, speed type of guys there. And the Marlins just went to go, you know, it seemed with the theme of the day, which was power. You know, two guys with power fastballs, and then you pair it up with the guy with a power bat. Uh, with the 47th pick of the 2023 MLB draft, the Miami Marlins select Kemp Alderman, an outfielder from the University of Mississippi. You know, I said it on the draft live stream with Alderman. I, I think he's got 85 grade raw power and exit velo. I should say 80 grade, 85 grade exit velo, my bad. But I mean, you're seeing consistent exit velos, 110 plus, some going 118 plus, uh, balls just being smashed everywhere. Um, and he's not your typical heavy hitter like that in the sense that, you know, he can get on the mound, he can bump 95, he can play solid defense. So, I mean, with Alderman, you just get an all around solid athlete with big, big, big time power. So. Yeah, and with Alderman, um, we were just talking to, to DJ Svillick and everything, and he mentioned he wants him in the outfield and mm -hmm. that he can even transition him to catcher, which he played at Ole Miss. How do you look at him defensively, and where maybe where would you put him in terms of defense? Yeah, I would say probably right field. Um, you know, I feel like catching in pro ball, it takes kind of a catcher that's been catching for a while to really succeed at that position. Like, for instance, how Banfield's doing right now, he's really succeeding defensively and offensively, you know, been a catcher his whole life. And um, I think Alderman would fit kind of in a corner outfield slot, potentially like right field. And I'd say right field because it just, he's got the super strong arm to play out there, so. Yeah, and, and now transitioning a little bit to, to day two um, with those picks there, how did you see the Marlins um, look, look at day two? I'm looking at some of your draft grades and one of your highest grades, or, or I should say both of your highest grades, came from day two with, with Vandenberg and Maldonado. Yep. Um, first with Vandenberg, gave him an A-plus, 6-7 guy out of Michigan State. How, how do you see, you know, mm -hmm. or how you gave him a, an A-plus, what really stood out to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really big on Vandenberg. Um, you know, I, I think of him, if guys know Nick Kurtz at Wake, he's really, really similar to Kurtz, but he's just not... He just doesn't have the power that Kurtz has, but I mean, they're both the same at first base, insane athletes, get everything, can field anything, great range. And then at the plate, you got a guy with a good eye, a clean swing, works the gaps, really knows his approach. And I think, um, you know, the ground ball rate's a little high, but I think with just some slight tinkering in the swing, I think you can see, you know, those ground ball, weight, ground ball rates drop and then see a lot more lift and carry out of those balls, so. Yeah, and also defensively for him, um, was there maybe a reason why you think maybe he fell um, to the Marlins there, uh, you know, being their fourth pick? Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why maybe he fell to, to that to that range? Yeah, I would say it's probably the ground ball rates that um, didn't really attract some teams early up, which I mean kind of makes sense in this day and age, but I feel like teams should also have, you know, kind of trust in their development system that, hey, and you can even really look at his swing and see that, you know, he's a tweak away here and there to really being able to carry that ball. So maybe I, I think it's because of, you know, the ground ball rates is ultimately why I fell to the Marlins. And then also look at another A-plus, Nick Maldonado out of Vandy. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, when you get a Vandy pitcher, a Vandy guy, you're getting someone from like a, a really great program, someone, you know, with uh, position or MLB pedigree. What are the Marlins getting there with mm -hmm. Maldonado and you giving him an A plus? Yeah, I think Maldonado, you know, obviously tied with him and Vradenberg, and I've been kind of thinking about it, but that might be my favorite pick in the draft. Um, oh. It's it's a proven track record at Vanderbilt. You know, they play the one of the hardest schedules every year, and it's it's not like you saw with kind of Jake DeLeo how you know really 2023 he kind of 
found his groove, kind of got on that. It was every single year for Maldonado. He was in the two ERAs, uh, got down to, I can't remember if it was last year or this year, got down to about a 1.8 ERA. But I mean, he's big in the biggest spots with Vandy, which, you know, not many guys can do. He's been he's been in the biggest spots. He's succeeded in those spots. And then stuff-wise, you're getting a power sinker, mid-90s, and you're getting a two-plane slider that, you know, I posted a video of it is, is really, really, really good. So I think just alone the stuff plays and then um, just the track record of Vandy playing the best of the best and succeeding year in and year out. So, and with him, do you I come out as a reliever at Vandy? Um, you see him at, at that way in the majors or, or or in the pros, going more as a reliever, closer type role. Or do you are there any type? Maybe he could be like a long reliever. How do you see him coming out of the bullpen? Yeah. He could be. Um, I don't know if a starter. I mean, you could try him with a changeup. You know, I, I'm all in for guys. You know trying to be a starter, trying that out if they can really find that third pitch. I'm all for that. But I just think, like I said, you look at the track record with Maldonado. I mean, I, I just think you got to keep him in the pen. I mean, he's been there for Vandy every year. Um, and I think if you could just, you know, with a changeup, kind of just have some feel for that and, you know, kind of mix that in, show that here and there, then he could go to a longer lever. But um, if not, he'll be a great setup guy, in my opinion. So... Yeah, and with day two, um, you know, we met. You mentioned your your favorite pick there with Maldonado. Was there maybe a pick that maybe got you scratching your, your head a little bit when looking at the, mm -hmm. at the picks? Yeah, I would say Olson out of uh, I think Nebraska, the lefty. Um, I mean, there's not really the stuff is there. He's got a four pitch mix, um, but there's there's not. I, I don't really see that much projectability in him. You know, he's kind of filled out. He's a matured body. Um, and I mean, the slider is good. I mean, you're going to get that out of a lefty, but um, I feel like if they wanted to go him, they could have gotten him in kind of a Jake DeLeo spot um, or the Lindsay, the guy from Tennessee, kind of in that area. I just feel like they kind of reached there with Olsen. So. Yeah, and, and maybe another picture there I was looking at that really intrigued me, another 6'7 guy, Justin Storm out of uh, Southern mm -hmm. Miss. Uh, what, what do you see out of him? Because coming from that program, which has just been skyrocketing as of late, going to the regionals and being the best conference USA, what, what have you seen from uh, yep. the Southern Myth, uh, Justin Storm? Yeah, you know, uh, came onto the scene last year in the regionals against LSU, uh, kind of his first kind of big spot for Southern Miss, <clears throat> excuse me, and really succeeded. Um, you know, he had a bigger role this year. Like I said, you know, he closed out the Sun Belt tournament and he got, uh, I think, three out of five or four out of five victories in the uh, uh, NCAA tournament. And, you know, with this stuff, you know, the fastball is going to play up. He's got that high release point and he's, you know, he can really stay behind it. So he's going to get that carry up in the zone. And then he has a really good tight uh, slider and kind of the uh, mid to low 80s to really play off of that. And I feel like, you know, a lot of guys you see when they burst onto a scene, like, can they kind of stumble out of the gate, um, you know, trying to find their stuff, trying to find their um, their footing. But, you know, he kind of seemed like to have a, a really solid plan and know where his pitches play best. And um, I think it's just a good selection for them. He's a big time competitor and um, he's got that funky over the head slot, which is really deceptive for guys. So, yeah. And, and then going out, finishing off with, with day three, you know, with, with these picks, not going to the bonus uh, pool. So it's, um, I believe with DJ Sulek, he mentioned kind of the money resets. Um, mm -hmm. How did you see this third day uh, with the Marlins? How do you think maybe they went in terms of their strategy and maybe any names really stood out to you? Yeah, I would say the strategy was, you know, just trying to get college guys that would sign for, you know, a little bit under slot or even a good bit under slot, really. So, um, you know, you saw like, again, solid guys like Agnes, um, Brooks, 
a Belgrave from Maryland, you know, and Valpo. These are all, or Valpo, not Valpo, excuse me. But, you know, the three pitchers, three, four pitchers they got, um, you know, the control really isn't there, but they both, all three, have, you know, really good fastballs um, with some room. I think they could even get some velo. Like, I think Nigel Belgrave has a little bit more in the tank, but uh, three guys with big velo, big time sliders, big time spin on both of the pitches. And, you know, the control isn't there, but I think, you know, with the Marlins pitching development, arguably the best in the league, that'll be, be a good fix for them. And I think, you know, with the money that they're going to get them for and the stuff that they bring, you know, if they can figure out that control, which is why I gave, you know, the B minus grade, I think that's why and how they can really take off and get that control down. So, because the stuff is there. Yeah, and I, you know, the one that really uh, stands out to me, these last three picks from the Marlins, uh, Dietrich, Olmstead, uh, Ignacio. Mm-hmm. Dietrich uh, committed to FIU, high school guy. Olmstead from USC, third baseman. And then you have Ignacio, a two-way guy. Um, talk mm-hmm. to me about these three guys and maybe start off with Dietrich and maybe the Marlins' reasoning on going with a high school guy um, late in these rounds and back-to-back years. Last year was Crest, now it's uh, Dietrich. Yeah, I like Dietrich a lot. Um, you know, super tall, skinny lefty um, in the low 90s. Feel for changeup, feel for spin. Um, I think that would be really good if they can sign him because I think if you can put, and which they should be really easily too, because he's, you know, 18, just to put some weight on him, um, really find himself mechanically. You know, it's easy for a guy with that posture, that length to kind of get lost in their mechanics. But I think with the weight they're going to put on, and again, the development that he's going to be with and under, I think he could turn into a really, really good player. Um, and then with Olmstead out of USC, I didn't really think he was going to have the chance to sign, but a USC guy uh, commented on it and said that he's going to sign with the Marlins. And I like that a lot. Um, you know, again, kind of fits the infielder guys that they've been getting or that they got this draft with, um, you know, they're all really athletic. They all have a feel for the barrel um, and they all play solid defense. So I think Olmstead there that late is a really good pick. Um, I, think, I can't remember what team they were playing. I think it may have been UCLA this year, but there was a home run that he hit at USC where he was literally on one knee and he was able to poke it out. So, you know, he's got the feel for the barrel there. And then you got the last guy who's one of my favorite personalities in the draft, Ignofo. You know, he's utility guy, do it all, you know, blood, sweat and tears type of guy. He'll go out there, do whatever it takes. He stole home this year. He got in the mound for a couple innings. Um, you know, he's just one of those guys that'll do whatever it takes to win. So I, I really like those last three picks. Yeah, and you know, going here, just looking at everything, probably that stood out to me was not going catcher in this mm-hmm. draft. Um, you could see Kep Alderman, but four games at almost a catcher, maybe don't really scream that. You have to learn the position a little more in pro. Uh, how would you describe maybe this entire draft class, um, not just um, the Marlins, but all MLB in terms of catching? Mm-hmm. Was, it, was it a strong uh, position coming into the draft, or was it just maybe a weaker draft class for catchers? Yeah. I think it was definitely a weaker draft class. Um, you know, you had, I think his name was Rafi Hernandez that went to the Guardians in the first round. And I just think, you know, it was a lot of high school guys really that were catchers this year. And, um, you know, you got Zion Rose. I think he, he's going to go to school, but he was in the draft. Um, and the thing is with a lot of those guys, they do have some swing and miss. And I, I think, you know, a lot of those high school guys tend to move into the outfield. And I really think the only big, big time catcher in the draft this year was Blake Mitchell that the Royals ended up getting. You know, he's got a cannon for an arm, feel for barrel, really good speed. He can play pretty much anywhere in the field, you know, just an elite athlete. And then you had Kyle Teal as the other, you know, him and Mitchell were the top two catchers. And Kyle Teal was up there. You know, I think his framing back there is a little shaky. The blocking's a little shaky, but you know, he can hit. So, I mean, I really think that it was a truly weak class for catching this year, so. Yeah. 
and with these, uh, two more questions for you. Um, with all these guys, all 20, are there any that you're maybe wondering if they are going to sign? Are there any, or do you believe that the Marlins will get all 20 of these guys done? I think a lot of them will sign. I think Dietrich is probably one of the um, main ones that I'm concerned about signing with just because, you know, going to FIU, he has that on his plate. Um, and it just depends. You know, I, I think um, Storm, or I'm sorry, um, Shade from Oregon will sign for under slot. I think Cooley, if he chooses to sign, which I think he will, will sign for under slot. So I think they'll have a lot of money saved up from these um later college guys to save money on that they could uh, give to Dietrich, but um, he's probably the one that I'm, I think will have the greatest chance of not signing, so. Yeah, and then the last one, I don't want to get way ahead of it, but 2024, what are you looking at? Who are the guys that, that people should know of for, for the 24 draft class? Yeah, I would say the first one is, um, it all depends on the Marlins pick, but I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, going back to Wake with the pitching, you know, Michael Massey at Wake, um, you know, it's a, it's probably the best fastball or one of in that draft class. Um, you know, it's got crazy carry. He's got a crazy slider. He's playing for Team USA right now. Um, he has a feel for a changeup too. Um, we'll see that a lot more, obviously, with him in a starting role this year. Um, so yeah, I, I think if the Marlins are kind of middle of the pack um, in the first round and he succeeds, I, I think the Marlins could get him because you know he could start. He was proven this year at Wake to uh, relieve, so you know he could kind of go both ways with him. So. Yeah, well, uh, Jab Jackson, you know, it, it was great having you on. You killed it on the stream. We had to bring you back on. And hey, I appreciate you taking your time talking about uh, all 20 of these picks. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me.